My name is Wes Pogue. I get the joy of being the youth pastor here. And this week uh, has been kind of difficult, a little bit challenging. Uh, Tuesday night, about 8 o'clock, my grandmother passed away. And um, she had been fighting for a while. She had, um, she was 87. She just had a birthday just after Christmas. And she um, had just been to the doctor that day. She'd been fighting things like pneumonia and congestive heart failure and things like that. Just, uh, and they had gone to the doctor and they had made a plan and some things were supposed to fall into place. And uh, late that evening, uh, just before 8 o'clock, um, she had gone to the bathroom of all things and her heart stopped. And they tried to do CPR, tried to do CPR. And at 8 o'clock, she passed away. And I went to Clear Lake to be with my mom and my sister and we were there for several hours and we started talking about the funeral and I wanted to, to preach part or all of the funeral. Not because I wanted to, to show off or anything, it's just that's what I do. And that was how I could help. And so I started thinking about all that I would say and all that I would do and um, I had moments where, you know, just kind of reflecting back, and it was almost to the day 20 years ago that my grandfather passed away. And as I stood in that pulpit yesterday, uh, in that little bitty Methodist church uh, in Anahuac, Texas, uh, if you know where that is, you had to have been en route somewhere else. Um, if you've been on I-10 heading toward Louisiana, you've seen the sign, uh, but you didn't see Anahuac. It's that small. Uh, less than 2,000 people in it. Uh, and if you drive to Anahuac today, you wonder how this city is surviving. Um, I don't have an answer for that. But um, as I stood in that church, and I've told many of you this before, that when I was a kid, uh, I had a drug problem. My grandparents drug me to church. <laughs> and it was that church that they took me to. And I can remember being... Uh, Jeremiah's age, about nine, maybe a little older, having a digital watch that had an alarm that would not go off. And in my childlike mind, that church was really, really big. In my adult observation of it yesterday, the church wasn't that big and there was no hiding where I was. Um, found out later that my uncle used to have to sit on the front row in that church because his mom played piano and apparently he and I are similar, um, doing things that might be a little bit distracting. So, uh, but that was my first taste of life with God's people, life with a church people. And that was my first thought of what it looked like. And my grandmother, Margot was kind of instrumental in helping some of that happen. She and my grandfather were both uh, faithful attenders at their church, but also insistent that any time we went and visited that we would go. I didn't always like that arrangement but it became something for me that was very valuable. And so yesterday, as I stood in that pulpit nearly 20 years later, um, I had spoken at my grandfather's funeral at 18. And now at 38, looking at it and saying some of the same things and wanting to offer a word of hope, a word of encouragement. And I know uh, not everybody here necessarily has experienced uh, grief in that way, um, not knocking my students at all. It's just not been a life experience that all of you have had. Uh, some of you have. Some of you have had it recently. 
And so my thought today um, in preparing this morning, um, Mike was texting me late yesterday afternoon and is really, really sick. And uh, we were trying to figure out a plan for the day and uh, elders were asked, what are we going to do and all this other kind of stuff and um, said, I can go. And there was this kind of long text pause, and it wasn't because they were trying to find the keys. Right after that, I followed it with seriously. And that was a group message. I got a text from Mike that said, uh, I don't want to add that to this weekend for you. I said, no, this has been a really good day. There's a lot of opportunities, and so I, I, want, to, I, want, I want to speak. So he said, all right. Uh, there was a thank you, and we moved on. And so as I prepared this morning... Uh, I wanted to share some thoughts that maybe if you've been to a funeral you've heard, but because of the grief of a funeral we're maybe not able to take in. Uh, Some words of encouragement, some words of hope, some words of peace. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2 says that we are to um, find ourselves uh, in the place of mourning. It says it's better to go to the place of mourning than it is to the place of merriment or making joy... Parties, in other words, Uh, feasting in some translations, to the place of feasting. And so I thought about that, and I thought, why in the world would Solomon tell us that it's better to go to a funeral than it is to a party? We follows that with because we we are we have to consider our lives, we have to think about the value of our life, we have to think about the brevity of our lives, and we have to to consider these things. And so as I walked through that yesterday. Margot was 87, and, you know, I looked at Psalm 90, it says, you know, we're promised 70, and if you fight well, you get 80, and so standing at the graveside yesterday, um, I was kind of picking on her because she's always been a scrapper. Uh, She made it to 87 just because she's honoring and wanted to, but there was something about Margot that helped me in the very beginning parts of my faith, and that was her insistence that I be around church people. That by itself didn't do anything, but that started something. And so I considered my own life. I considered the lives of my cousins and my aunt and uncle. I considered the lives of my uh, of their friends who were there. And as we as we thought through these things, I wanted to to have a word of hope, a word of comfort, and a word of joy. On Tuesday. Uh, I texted several people and just said, hey, would you be praying for my family? And I got a text back from uh, Rich Armin, one of our uh, first service uh, church family, but also our piano player. Uh, Rich is, uh, if you haven't met Rich, he's an incredible guy. Uh, I don't think there's anything Rich can't do. Um, And if there is, it's just because he hasn't found it yet. Um, And his text back to me was something like this. I'm praying for you, brother. Uh, I pray that you handle this in a Christian way. Meaning, and he followed this, as, these are his words, meaning, we have conquered death. And while uh, I'm sitting there in the hospital room, my grandmother's body still in the room, uh, that reminder, very present, we have conquered death. And then I started thinking about Uh, the pastoral side of me started thinking about how many times I've heard Christians say, I don't feel like I'm supposed to grieve. I don't feel like it's okay for me to hurt. I don't feel like it's okay for me to cry out loud because there's some problem with my faith if I do. 
And I've been trying to figure out where that came from. And then I saw it. It came from a punctuation mark in the King James Version. In the first text that we're going to look at today, and that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you would, grab your Bibles. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 13 through 15. And I want to show you uh, where maybe we've misunderstood that if we have the notion that Christians are not supposed to grieve. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Uh, you may skip it. It's a little bitty book. You may miss right over it. So uh, if you don't have the cheater tabs, which are useful, uh, I don't know what screen number it is on your phones. Um, <laughs> 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as we begin. Um, Paul speaking, he says, But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we have believed, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left still, or until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. In the King James, it reads something similar. Uh, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, comma. as those who have no hope. And that unfortunate little changed everything for a lot of people. Because what they heard then was that Christians aren't supposed to hurt. That they're not supposed to grieve. That they're not supposed to mourn. And for some reason they taught that to other people as if it were truth. And then they tacked on the hope part as if it was another comment. But really it's not that at all. It's that we're not to grieve as those who have no hope. In other words, we have a hope. We still grieve, but we grieve with a hope that our grief will one day be touched, be removed. We grieve because someone that God has put in our life is no longer there physically that we can talk with them and share with them our, our hopes and our dreams and all those things. God created us to be uh, people who commune with each other. He didn't create us in a vacuum to be by ourselves. And so when we have loss, we must grieve. And those who say that Christians shouldn't grieve have seriously misunderstood the fact that God created us to be with other people. And when those people are gone, it's going to hurt. It's going to sting. It's going to bother us. It's going to, and should. Far too often in a funeral setting, what we see is the funeral passes on, uh, the meals go, and life goes on. And those who are grieving hear things like, well, how are you doing? I'm okay. Just okay? I mean, it's been a few weeks. Haven't you gotten over it yet? I'm not a violent guy. But there's a side of me that wants to punch somebody in the face when I see that happen. Because I think for a moment that though your life has moved on, my life is still empty. 
or void of something. Not empty completely, but that person's no longer there. That person who means a lot to me is no longer somebody I can talk to and know, quite frankly, I'm not over it yet. And quite frankly, that's okay. Now, what does it mean, what does it look like to grieve as somebody who has hope? We still hurt. We still hurt, but we look ahead. And when the weeks turn into months and we're supposed to be over it, we look ahead and maybe there are days when we don't think about it as much and then we feel guilty because we haven't thought about it as much and we think there's something wrong with us because we're not dwelling on that person as much as we once were. And then it all comes back. Life's going on around us. And it all comes back. And then the year anniversary comes if the Thanksgiving and Christmas and birthday don't happen in the middle. And every time those moments happen, it all comes back. So how do we grieve in the midst of that? We allow ourselves to be genuine and real and we hurt. And just like we've been created to be in community with people, we hurt out loud and we let people know that we're hurting and then we look ahead and we say, but I have a hope. I have a comfort that comes from Christ. See, for me, um, whether it's my grandfather who passed away or Beth's brother who passed away or Beth's grandparents who passed away or now my grandmother who passed away in my own life or funerals that I've preached that were separate and apart from that, there's still an ache. There's still a hurt. And I want to be a pastor, regardless of what my role is, that speaks into the lives of the people I love and say, it's supposed to hurt. And I'm sorry that it hurts. But we have a hope. We have a hope that comes from someone far greater than me, far greater than any of us. And that hope is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our hope is found in the one who not only took death on, but conquered it and destroyed its power. Our hope is that of a resurrection where we will see physical bodies with no pain, no sorrow. Bodies 2.0 with eternal upgrades. The hope that we will see our Lord who has died and risen again for us. That we will be just like that. Our hope comes from a thought that yes, we will see them again fully restored. But our hope comes more not from that thought of seeing our loved one again, but from the promises that we have in Scripture that our Lord has indeed conquered death. It's not a permanent thing. It doesn't that as soon as we see death, that's it. The Bible has a lot to say about death, and yet there's still this mystery. There's this, what do we do with this? It's so scary. What do we do when we're sitting in a church or standing at a graveside or even just doing our day-to-day life and the memory comes back? We look expectantly to the day when all things will be restored. I take great comfort in that. I take great comfort in uh, the fact that death has been defeated. If you'll turn over a few pages to the left 
to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 50. We see this very powerful description of our hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The perishable becoming imperishable, that which will decay will become something that is resurrected to an eternal, imperishable body. Now, there are a lot of comments and and controversy and statements about what this is talking about and how it's described and how it all plays out. Ultimately, our hope comes to this resurrection and this final, this thought that death is swallowed up in victory. Whose victory? The victory of Jesus Christ on the cross and more than that is resurrection. It's swallowed up. It cannot hold any power. Where is your victory? Where is your sting? Those of you who've experienced the death of a loved one know that sting. And I don't want to lessen your pain at all. In fact, I want to walk with you through it. With this, fi- this, this ultimate thought, not final, but this ultimate thought that though there's a sting, it is not the final wound. That though it has won a battle, it will not win the war. Death cannot conquer us. Who cannot conquer us. But notice the next part. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says something very interesting. He gives us this challenge. He says, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. See, when he's writing this, there are going to be those in the, in the lifetimes of the people who receive this the first time who will lose their lives for the purpose of Christ, for the cause of Christ, for the call of Christ. They will be martyred. And they will see their friends and they will see their loved ones die because someone has taken their life because they are standing for Christ. And so the challenge remains in this setting. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Keep doing the work of the Lord, though your fellow worker next to you may not live. In our culture today, we personally may not face that kind of persecution. In places in our world right now, like Nigeria, China, numbers of other places, there are Christians currently losing their life for the faith. And the challenge would go to them as it goes to the church at Corinth, as it goes to us, be steadfast, 
be immovable. Continue to do the work of the Lord. Why? In context, because we know that their death is not final. God's not done. So if you have experienced grief, if you are experiencing grief, if you have experienced loss, don't give up on God. Don't give up on following Christ. Don't give up on doing the things of Christ because we know our hope lies in Him. I had a lot of people over the last week ask me, how in the world can you preach your own grandmother's funeral? I don't know. I don't know. Uh... I had a little bit of apprehension going into it yesterday. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to speak at all. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to speak today, to be honest. Um, But it comes from something that I think is very important. I have been given comfort and peace. And so I want to offer comfort and peace. Yesterday was a good day. Yes, there were tears. Yes, there were uh, sad moments. Yes, there were times when uh, I saw either my own children or my wife or my family or their friends crying. And in all of that, there's this hope. And so, apart from a funeral service, I want to remind you of that. Turn over one to two pages to Second Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And so, as I said a moment ago, I have received comfort. I have received encouragement. I have received from the Lord and from my church family and from my friends and from others. And so I want to offer the same because that's what we are to do. Because we're told in a few chapters later in 2 Corinthians 5 that we're to be ministers of reconciliation. We're to be ambassadors for Christ in such a way that we bring the kingdom gospel to them. And we help in our part in saying what is necessary so that God can reconcile people to himself. Sometimes that looks like a word of comfort. I was reading a book earlier this week about uh, funerals, not because I'm morbid, but because I'm a pastor and I want to see other people's perspectives on it and how to, to minister in different ways. And one guy says that he's excited by funerals. I'm not sure that's the word I would use. 
But for me, I understood where he was going because in his, in his defense of this statement, he says, this is an opportunity for people who do not know Christ, who may never hear of Christ, to maybe hear a word of hope. And my thought is, I don't honestly know how people who do not know Christ walk through death. I don't know how they experience the death of a loved one and don't just fall apart. Because there's no hope. There's no joy. There's no, there's no reason to. But for the believer, for those who are, who are belonging to Christ, we have this hope. It doesn't make it easy. It just makes it easier. And so I think through this and I think, you know, if there were an opportunity for someone to hear the hope that Christ gives, not that it's about just that, but that being part of God's kingdom now and being part of God's kingdom as it will be revealed does give us hope, then somebody needs to hear that. But here's the thing. We go day to day and encounter people who are hurting and they need to hear it today. And while funerals might be an opportunity for that, if we'd be really honest, we don't remember many of the words that are spoken at funerals. Sometimes, but not often. I can't tell you how many people I've shaken hands with who said, good message, pastor, good message, pastor, good message, pastor. And if I wanted to ask them like a week later, so was there something that really ministered to you? You just did a good job. You just, you spoke like you knew the person. Well, glad to hear it. Because there are two experiences, and maybe you've had these, where you've been to a funeral, and the pastor clearly doesn't know the person. And they say the things that are supposed to be said. And then the person who gets up and can barely hold themselves together speaks. And nothing else has, has been heard. It doesn't matter the song. It doesn't matter any of that. But if you ask them a week later, was there something I said that just really meant something to you? No. But that you knew the person. That's what I heard yesterday. It sounded like you knew her. Well, yeah, she's my grandmother. The real compliment for a pastor is to go into a funeral that he doesn't know and to still hear that. That's not really the point. The words of comfort that come from a pastor in a funeral aren't remembered. But the words of a loved one who walks alongside day after day after week after month after year, those are. And so we are called to give this comfort. We are called to give this encouragement. We are called to walk alongside. And we don't have to have the answers I've met many Christians who walk into a time of grief and don't know what to say and feel like they have to fill the dead space. Not necessary. Not necessary. You don't have to have the answers. They may ask you why. It's okay to say, I don't know. God doesn't give us that necessarily. I made a connection yesterday that Nathan, my 12-year-old, was at his first real funeral yesterday for his great-grandmother. And for me, the connection was very interesting because when I was 12, on the same side of the family, I was at my first funeral for my great-grandmother. And the pieces kind of fell together 
um, where he didn't really fully get all that was going on. And I walked him through it. I'm the kind of guy who will tell you ahead of time, if you're going to a funeral, this is what you can expect. When you get past the funeral, this is what it's going to feel like. When you get a few weeks and months down the road, this is probably what you're going to be thinking about. And I think about that not in a morbid way, but because far too often nobody says, your heart's going to hurt like this for a while. And it's okay for it to do so. But the other connection for Nathan was, though he didn't understand the fullness of what was going on, others did. And you don't know what other people are experiencing, but you certainly have the opportunity to speak into their lives. These flowers were at the funeral yesterday. And they remind me of our purpose. These flowers will be gone in less than a week. They're beautiful now. Smell great. Car smell. Car smelled wonderful driving home last night. But these flowers aren't going to last. But will they have accomplished their purpose? There were many flowers there yesterday, and they they were beautiful. Some of the potted plants were there, and you think, oh, those will last longer. That's a great plant. Uh, my cousin wouldn't take any of them. She says she's a professional plant killer. <laughs> I asked her if she got paid for that. She said, no, I'm just that good. (laughs) And I think about these, because these are all just cut flowers. And they're pretty. And they brought comfort. This came from our church family, part of our church family. And when I saw that, it brought me comfort. And it brought beauty to a somewhat gloomy day. But it served its purpose and served it well. Because the flowers themselves were simply passing on a message, praying for you. I want to walk alongside. And I think we as Christians kind of fit this better than I think we know, in that we are here for such a short time. Psalm 90 says 70, maybe 80 years. And my question to you is, as a believer, are you serving your purpose? Are you bringing comfort and joy and beauty into the lives around you? Fully aware that you may not ever see what your words or your deeds do. Because your message of the gospel that the king is here and you can be part of the kingdom can come through you in any form. You can be an outspoken preacher guy like me. You can be a not so outspoken, uh, quieter person. And the message is still the same. We have a God of hope, a God of joy, a God of peace, and a king whose present kingdom has a spot for you. And so I want to just encourage you today, hopefully I've accomplished that, to be like these flowers. The only solid thing in here, by the way, 
is the cross. How many of you just made that connection? You're like, are you going to talk about that? Yeah, of course I'm going to talk about that. That's the whole point. This death and this resurrection changed everything. And it is the reason that I have hope. So today, if you have received comfort, give comfort. If you have been given a gift of joy, encourage someone else. Ultimately, as believers, we are meant to be in the lives of people. And when those connections are severed through death, it's okay to hurt, and it's okay to ask for help. And it is encouraged, desired, and mandated that we as believers give help. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come to this time...